It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. We discuss the latest news and listener feedback. And I chat with Emily Ellsworth about her run for the Utah State Senate. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode, everybody. I wanted to encourage everyone to follow us on Instagram. We are really up in our Instagram game. So if you love Instagram, follow us at Pantsu Politics. I just posted an Instagram stories reviewed that's pinned to our profile of a book I just finished called The News, A User's Manual. I really enjoyed it. I'm also going to give it away on Instagram, but first I'm making Beth read it. So go check that out. Also, I wanted to say that we will not be discussing the blockbuster reporting on Cambridge Analytics and Facebook because we're going to dedicate all of Tuesday's episode to that followed on Wednesday on The Nuanced Life with my report on how my Lenten practice of giving up Facebook went. It's going to be Facebook week is what we're saying next week. So get excited. I was thinking about how your Lenten practice connects with mine, Sarah, because mine was giving up complaining. <laughs> and I think giving up Facebook and giving up complaining really do tie together. Same difference. Last announcement before we dive into a couple of quick news stories. We are very excited that tonight we will be at Ripon College 
doing a keynote speech for Women's History Month, which just touches us in every way to be there during Women's History Month. We're going to be talking about living a nuanced life, about political discourse, about working across the aisle, all the things that are near and dear to us. We'll be doing that after a very full day of going to some college classes and doing a workshop with the College Democrats and College Republicans. We couldn't be more excited for this event. If you are not in Wisconsin with us for it, you can live stream it and we will put the information for that on our social media channels. So thanks to Rippin for inviting us. And it's free admission. So if you live nearby, you should definitely come. Come on out to Rippin. It's a free event that's open to the public. So we're very excited about it. Devastated. We are shocked but not surprised to hear of another school shooting this week. A 17-year-old walked into Great Mills High School in Maryland. Fortunately, a school resource officer engaged him and was Mm. able to stop the threat. There were no casualties, just some injuries. Certainly, it sounds strange to say there were no casualties of a school shooting, though, because it is another message to high school students across Mm -hmm. the country that they're not safe in their schools. And we just haven't seen any action. It's been over a month since Parkland now, which is hard to believe. The students have done a fantastic job keeping the momentum up. March for Our Lives is coming up. Students are keeping the pressure on, and it's clear that they need to. We're hoping that the people of Austin feel a little bit safer today, as there seems to have been a resolution to the Absolutely bananas story. I just, every time another bombing would happen or something would surface in the news, I would just think how scary it must be to be in Austin right now. There was a report on NPR of people who were like writing their package deliveries on the wipe off board so that other people in their house would know that it was like an actual delivery. It's so scary. I reached out to our listener, Debbie, who's a good friend of the podcast, has helped us with lots of kind of behind the scenes research. She's in Austin. She said that it's just very unnerving. And I thought that was the perfect word. It has Mm -hmm. to be so unsettling to have this happening around you. So hopefully this is the end to, as you said, a very bizarre incident. And I'm sure that we'll learn more in the coming weeks about what motivated this and the person who is behind it. Vladimir Putin won his election. One seems like not the right word to use. I don't know the right word, but I would say that if I were to speak to him on the phone about said election and you wrote in all caps, do not congratulate him, I would follow your advice and not congratulate him. It has been reported that the president has a different perspective on this because despite having a briefing book in front of him that said in all caps, do not congratulate him. Do not congratulate him. The president in fact, did congratulate him. And I'm like, on what? What are you even congratulating him on? Does he even have an opponent? He switched offices with that one guy so he could serve longer. I'm assuming they just got rid of the term limits altogether at this point. Like he's, not to mention, okay, if it was just the election, that would be offensive enough. But the fact that Russia stands accused of poisoning people on British soil, that British is kicking out all these diplomats and that they, it is official on, on many levels that they meddled in our election. And he was like, you know what? I just congratulated him on a job well done. It was this one. It it made me mad. I'm just going to be honest. It just, I try to deep breathe through a lot of it, but this one just really made me mad. There's an expression in the law called the preponderance of evidence. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it is becoming increasingly difficult not to see, in the best case scenario, a bizarre infatuation with Putin. Yes. I don't know that that means criminality or treason. It is becoming more difficult 
to keep yourself from connecting the dots between things like congratulating him on the election, stalling on the sanctions that Congress passed, refusing to condemn the poisoning. There are so many dots now. It's really hard to back away from them. As I do my deep dive on Patreon about the Paul Manafort indictment, I keep asking myself, why did Paul Manafort sign on with the Trump campaign? Mm. How much of what he is enduring now and what he will endure would have ever surfaced had he not signed on to the Trump campaign? Mm -hmm. By all accounts, he had a pretty good life, you know? (laughs) (laughs) With his fancy rugs. With his fancy rugs and all this money that he was not paying taxes on. Why would someone who was a lobbyist for the Ukrainian government doing the bidding of the party that is most connected to Russia sign on with the Trump campaign? And I hate even saying that question out loud in the universe. It makes me feel like Glenn Beck with this crazy chalkboard circling things and drawing lines. And I don't want to be that person. But at the same time, why? Why? And then you look at the president. And again, I go back to what does the preponderance of the evidence tell us right now? And I don't mean in terms of criminality, like I said, just I don't see how you make a case that this president stands strongly against dictators and authoritarians and against any threat posed by Russia against the United States. Speaking of connecting the dots, connecting the dots on his legal troubles is starting to look more like a constellation than a straight line. Got a lot of legal issues out there for the president beyond just the Mueller investigation. And so interesting that judges are allowing those cases to go forward and and Mm -hmm. taking very firm positions that the president is not above the law. I think the behavior of the lawyers involved, particularly in the Stormy Daniels situation, is so strange. I hate for the legal profession that this is the representation of itself on TV because it's sort of the worst of lawyer jokes that seems to be playing out. Mm -hmm. I think it's so weird that Michael Cohen made that payment for him. I think it's so bizarre that his lawyer wrote a contract and made a line for him to sign it and then didn't make sure that he signed it. On the other side, I think it's strange that Stormy Daniels' lawyer is kind of out there promoting her 60 Minutes interview. All of this is pretty ugly. I think I am most fascinated by the apprentice contestant who is suing him for defamation. Mm -hmm. I think that could be the most interesting because it just seems to me like there isn't a scenario in which he escapes all three of these cases without being deposed. I think at this point that's highly unlikely. I think it's most likely he would be deposed in defamation because you have to understand the person's state of mind. I don't know how you'd get to that without deposing them. So what's he going to do? Is he going to continue to lie under oath? Is he going to have to admit that he lied under oath? That one just really fascinates me. It also gets to the question of how much litigation can a public servant be embroiled in and continue Mm -hmm. to be a public servant Whether you are on the right side of that litigation, whether you will ultimately be meritorious or not. We talked about this a little bit with Missouri's governor. He has been accused of something. He has been indicted. I don't know if he's guilty or not, but it's going to be really difficult to be dealing with a criminal charge and be the governor and do a great job. There's a point at which you have to, I think, decide that you cannot fulfill your public service obligations while defending yourself from multiple corners. I know the president isn't going to make that call. 
I think in the public, whether we love or don't love the president, we need to be thinking through this for leaders at all levels because we don't want to be a culture where someone just lobs accusations to bring a person down. Mm -hmm. But there is a level at which you're not entitled to these positions no matter what. You do have to be able to perform their essential functions. And I'm not sure if the president's being deposed here, there, and yonder and questioned by Robert Mueller. Like, at what point does this not work anymore? The president as a very flawed vessel makes me think of a really good message we got from Paul, one of the listeners who wrote in after our discussion about othering. He said, switching back to politics, there was a single moment in 2016 when the problem of the other was the most pronounced for me. It was in the second debate when Trump called Hillary the devil. There's always so much painting the other side as bad or corrupt, and there was always so much more of that in the last election than in others, but that moment just took the cake to me. It was so clear at that point that Trump and his supporters didn't see Hillary or her supporters based on the Trump rallies as people worthy of any respect at all, and I think that this dehumanization of the other was key to allowing them to stick with the horrendously flawed candidate and human being. Trump could be really pretty awful, but at least he wasn't the devil incarnate. And the worse that came out for Trump, the worse Hillary had to be. That last sentence was so clarifying for me. I thought, oh my gosh, you're right. Because when I worked for her in 2007, people really didn't like Hillary Clinton. Okay. And that was, (laughs) that was a thing that existed, but it was, she's dishonest. She's corrupt she's too ambitious, she's a bitch. Like, it was the standard issue Hillary hating. Although, I mean, there's always been this sort of more extreme factions, which is, you know, she has people murdered. But in 2016, I was like, why is it getting so out of control? Why is it now she has to be the leader of a child sex ring? All this crazy stuff. And I thought, oh, yeah, that is such a good way to put it. Because in order for him to be the right choice because she was so much worse, as he got worse and worse, as we heard tape of him and the Access Hollywood tape saying these horrendous things, like she had to get worse too. And I thought, oh, that makes so much sense. I thought that was such a good point. In our Patreon episode this month, our bonus episode, we're going to talk about the mini series made about Waco, which is fascinating. And I think it is an awesome example of what Paul is describing happening in real time mm-hmm. between two parties. And I can't wait to talk about it. I'm actually sort of dying to get into that with you. And I'm having to resist doing that until I'm all the way through it and we're ready to sit down and record this episode. But it's really, really good. I don't love talking about Hillary Clinton ever, as people who have followed (laughs) us know. Because I don't make anybody happy when I talk about Hillary Clinton. What I have been thinking about lately, because I try not to spend a lot of time thinking about Hillary Clinton since she is not the president today, is whether we other women of a certain age Mm. as a culture. And I've been thinking about this because I've paid so much attention to Elizabeth Warren. And as I watch Elizabeth Warren on television, I can't shake the question of whether America will vote for a woman in her late 50s, early 60s. Have we classified women in that group as either grandma or sort of past prime activist. And I don't mean that to be offensive. I actually mean it with a lot of sympathy and compassion because I think about how that's probably about the right point in life for anybody to seek the presidency because of experience and judgment and the things that you know. But I compare the reaction to Elizabeth Warren and Hillary Clinton to Kamala Harris and Kirsten Gillibrand 
And it seems like a much easier road for the women who are about 10 years younger to me. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if that is a, a specific type of othering that we've done as a country about a certain group of people. And I don't see us ever looking at men of that age and saying, well, Grandpa, you're a pastor. And we just elected a 70-year-old and we're excited about Bernie Sanders. who is also, you know. And so and again, I'm not disparaging those ages. I'm just saying we don't seem to do to men what we do to women of that age. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Well, and I just think that the longer a woman's in public service, the more entrenched that stereotype or idea or whatever sort of negative narrative about her gets. And that's what Mm -hmm. I mean when he said that. I just thought, yes, Hillary Clinton had that going into 2016 without a doubt. But to me, it seemed to accelerate at such a rapid pace and I kept wondering, like, where where was that coming from? I think some of it, of course, was the Russian interference in our election. But I think he's right. I think some of it accelerated because it had to to justify him. Because that's what people said to me. He's terrible, but she's worse. I heard that over and over and over again. That's still playing out, right? Mm-hmm. So the yeah, more the that. the more the Russia investigation escalates, the more the accusations against the Obama administration have to escalate. Mm-hmm. The more the idea of corruption in the FBI has to escalate. Yep. Do we have a ceiling on all of this escalation <laughs> on how bad we believe everybody down. can be? <laughs> right. But I mean I I do think that we're still watching that. We also received a message from Melinda that I absolutely loved. She was following up on our conversation on Tuesday about othering. She says, just wanted to say that there truly needs to be some indoctrination as to nuance and the meaning of the word love in our world. It's really clear that we aren't being taught well enough about the danger of othering. You ladies kept saying there isn't a word for what you were discussing. The word is love. Oh, that makes me a little teary. Specifically, Jesus called us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and then told us that everyone, including the people we would consider our worst nemesis, is our neighbor. I think we may not often think about what that means. It doesn't mean think fondly of yourself because that's not the way we feel about ourselves. It means value your neighbor the way you value yourself. Even though we may hate something about ourselves, we don't wish the worst for ourselves. We find joy in our own improvement and genuine sorrow at our own faults. In the same way, we are called to love our enemies slash neighbors. I love that. I love that when she said, "What I know the word you're looking for, it was love. I loved that, too. We have a difficult time defining love in our culture, we do. right? We do. Because, because we love what Melinda wrote. We love ice cream. We love long walks on the beach. We trivialize love in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hard, I think, for us, given all of the ways that we use the word love, I think it is hard for us to feel that love adequately captures This point that we keep driving at of we're not saying, can't we all just get along? Mm -hmm. We're saying, can't we all just be together and value our togetherness despite and sometimes even because of our differing perspectives? And I don't know that we have defined love culturally in a way that people would hear that immediately. But I think Melinda is right that that is the ideal way to hear love, that it's a sense of belonging together. Absolutely. To that point, I wanted to clarify something that I said. We got a note on Facebook about this. And as soon as I said it, I was like, we're going to get email about this because it was not (laughs) the most artful thing I've ever said. So I mentioned not having people on the podcast to espouse all views 
that we disagree with. We talked about having someone on the show to represent the pro-life perspective because it's one that we don't represent personally. And I was mentioning that we would not have someone on to represent all perspectives with which we disagree because some of those perspectives would be hurtful to our listener's sense of dignity. And I very unartfully mentioned Nazis in the same vein of discussion as people who oppose gay marriage. Now, let me say, I do not believe these two things are the same. I do not think they are morally equivalent in any way. And I apologize sincerely if that remark hit people in a hurtful way. I do want to say that we would not dedicate time on this podcast to someone who does not agree with gay marriage coming on to talk about not agreeing with gay marriage. I love many people who do not believe people of the same sex should marry. I value their opinions about lots of topics. We cannot give space in this forum to talk about that because we also have many, many listeners for whom that is offensive to their sense of dignity. And to me, the whole purpose of what we're doing here is always to be uplifting, uplifting people as best we can. We will make mistakes in that process. We frequently do. I just made one, right? (laughs) But that's the goal. And that's what I was trying to express. And I did not use enough words to express it. And again, I don't want to be hurtful to anyone. I fully understand why people have that perspective. I fully appreciate people's deeply and sincerely held religious beliefs. I do not agree with that perspective from the perspective of my faith or my politics. And it's just one where I think sometimes you have to draw some lines about how you're willing to use your forum. And I see that as a line for us. Well, I think what it's about for me is that one of our guiding lights is curiosity and really, really attempting to understand another perspective and to bring nuance to that understanding. And For better or for worse, I'm not really sure that the issue in the conversation surrounding gay marriage is due to a lack of understanding, I'll be honest. I really don't think that's the problem. I don't think the conflict surrounds the fact that one side really doesn't understand the other. Because I, coming from a conversation in my own community about a fairness ordinance, I do think the two sides understand each other pretty well. They just fundamentally disagree. And so I'm just not sure what additional conversation could bring to that, because I really don't think just going to change with regards to each person's perspective. And I don't necessarily think that's true of pro-life and pro-choice, but I think that there is so much nuance that gets missed in that conversation. Whereas I'm just not sure that that is true of the conversation surrounding gay marriage. I think we've had a lot of really in-depth conversations as a country about this. So I'm not really sure there's much there's, I guess there's always something to be curious about. I'm just not sure that there's much to add. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and talk with one of our good friends of the podcast, Emily Ellsworth, who, hooray, is running for state senate in Utah. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. 
And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I'm here with very good friend of Pantsy Politics, Emily Ellsworth. Thank you for joining me, Emily. Thank you for having me again. I'm always happy to chat with you. So what's so exciting is that the last time Emily was here, she was here as this viral explainer of how to contact your representatives. And today I get to talk to her as candidate for state Senate, Emily Ellsworth in Utah. Yeah, it's something that I certainly planned, not planned on doing when we spoke last, but, you know, just certain events transpired and here I am. So talk us through that process. How did you decide to make this leap to run for public office? Say it took a lot of convincing from a lot of people. It wasn't something, it's something that I've thought about, obviously, for a long time. I don't know that you can work in Congress. It just is a reminder for those who maybe don't know me. I worked in Congress for six years for Republican House of Representatives members here in Utah locally. And I think that when you work in that kind of field, you often are reflecting like, what, what would I do in this situation? Or, you know, what would me as a as a representative, what would that look like? And so I did a fair amount of that, but not in any serious capacity. And then I would say that for the last year or so, I kind of held it deep inside and didn't want to tell anyone that I had 
been considering running for my current state Senate seat. And then I let it slip out to a few people who were immediately really excited about it. And the word got out among my circle of friends and some of the, I work on a couple uh, boards that deal with civic engagement and, and those sorts of things. And, and once that started getting out, people were calling me and, and asking me if I was going to do it. And it just got to the point that I felt like I had enough of a support system and I felt so deeply about state politics. That's been my focus, I would say, for the last year or so. I, I've tried to take a little bit of a step back from the the kind of circus that is our, our federal government and federal politics at the moment. It's it's really exhausting. And I thought, you know, where I can make a difference is in my own state and in my own district. It's such a good reminder that encouraging people to run for office matters, that you needed those calls and pushes. Absolutely. I had some, you know, some people that I I deeply admired as I was considering it. I had a couple of friends say, who do we need to call you to convince you to do this? Like who, who, if someone called you and said, please run, would you do it? And I, I had a list of, of people that said, you know, if this person thought that I could do it, then yes, I, I would do it. And it's, I think that this is something as I've talked to folks that is maybe more indicative of women running than men. We often really want someone to tell us to do it. And so it is very important, especially for women candidates to to be encouraging. And if you hear any of that desire to to do as much as you can to support them. So you came to national prominence because of your ability to explain to people very concretely, if you are unhappy with your government, or even if you're happy with your government, and there's a particular issue that you really care about, here's how you get in touch with your representative. How does that philosophy about listening that you've really espoused in a way that you've made Congress much more accessible to lots of people, how does that impact the way you're thinking about your campaign and the way you think about how you would serve as a representative? What I've told folks is that if you think you're not getting a response from your federal representatives to think more locally, and this may be part of just who I am as a Republican, I tend to think more locally anyway, because I believe that's where you do have the biggest impact and, and the biggest voice. And I think people tend to overlook it, mostly because it's it's kind of a, another layer of, of the political world. And people, I think, in their minds probably think, oh, I have enough to deal with with the federal government. I don't want to kind of go down this, this state government road. But I would say that I as I thought about being a candidate, I didn't really want to do the federal seats. I know there's a lot of women who I deeply admire who are running for Congress, for federal seats, and for Senate. And I think that's wonderful. But I also think that it's so important to be listening and reflecting on a state level because there's so much of these policy issues that we all care about on a national level that are happening right now on a state level. Things related to healthcare and environmental stewardship and air quality. Education is deeply a state issue and a county issue and a school board issue, as anyone who's ever kind of worked in that environment knows. All of these things that we care about, I think collectively as a country, we have a lot of leeway when it comes to the state government. And I, I ran for this seat because I feel like this district being you know the makeup that it is really needs someone in the legislature who is willing to listen to help facilitate some of these conversations between state and local governments community leaders business leaders and voters to start to proactively tackle some of these 
big issues and start to come to a consensus and make some movement on some of these things. So that's that's kind of how I've approached this is that I don't have all the answers at hand. I don't have an agenda going into this campaign or into the legislature. I don't have a list of bills necessarily that I would sponsor. I have I have certainly have some ideas, but that the representative government with the state legislature is crucial and and listening to all the stakeholders is going to be key to kind of moving this conversation forward. So tell us about the process of once you've made the decision to run, how you file, what you've done, what you've learned so far. Yeah. So Utah is, has kind of a unique system. So once I decided I was going to run a couple of years ago, Utah switched to having a dual path to get on the primary ballot. I live in Utah County which is a little bit south of Salt Lake City for anyone who knows even a little bit about Utah. And it's a very Republican area. In fact, this seat that I'm running for does not have a Democratic challenger at all. So I'm offering a primary challenger to an incumbent and another candidate. And so Utah a few years ago decided to allow candidates to have two options to get on the ballot. You can use the caucus convention system where you get together for precinct meetings and elect delegates who will go to convention. That precinct meeting happened last night for all the parties in Utah. And then those delegates, in my case, it's it's people who were elected to be county delegates. They'll go and vote in convention on April 14th. And they will uh, pick two people from convention to be a maximum of two people to be on the ballot. It's a little confusing, but essentially what happens is the delegates will vote in convention And if no candidate gets over 60% of the vote in the final round of balloting, then two people, the the top two people will be on the primary ballot. The other way, which is relatively new, is to gather signatures from verified Republican voters in your district. For Senate, for state Senate, it's 2,000. So I'm doing both of those mostly because I have done the caucus system and convention system. I've been doing that. I, I was first elected to precinct office when I was 18. I've been participating in that process for a very long time. But I also really appreciate the chance to go actually knock on doors and talk to voters ahead of the primary, because that's really where this race is going to happen. And so talking to voters there, knocking on their doors, standing in front of movie theaters, that's what I've been doing to gather those signatures. So I've been using both routes and convention, like I said, will happen later this year. That's kind of the process to get on the ballot here. So I have a bunch of follow-up questions to this. First of all, just... (laughs) super real talk. I know you're an introvert like I am. We had a nice discussion about being an introvert when you were first on the podcast. How is it for you personally being out knocking on doors and standing in front of movie theaters? How are you finding that experience? To be honest, it's deeply uncomfortable for me, but I I feel like that's an important part of of doing this process. I've always been the type of person that, you know, I'm willing to get down and work and, and do the work it takes, but having a public facing and and public persona is something that weighs really heavily on me. And so it it hasn't been, I'm not an extrovert, so I don't, I don't, that doesn't fill my energy cup per se. It drains it. But at the same time, I have learned a lot from talking to people in this area about the things that they care about. And I feel like that's been, as long as I control it and make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm doing other things to replenish my energy that it's been a growing experience for me to put on my extrovert armor, as it were, and go out and knock doors and, you know, really connect with people. And what I love is that 
what I'm doing when I'm knocking on people's doors or when I'm meeting them, you know, on a, on a street corner or in front of a movie theater is I am almost immediately trying to engage them in a conversation that's very meaningful to me. So we're not having a lot of small talk. You know, I, I have to very quickly get to the point of what I want and what I need. And that opens conversations and doors to conversations about issues, which are things that I care about. And so once we get into that, sort of conversation. It's it's quite comfortable for me and I really like it and I like listening to people. It's the initial I'm knocking on a stranger's door and they're going to be very skeptical of why I'm there that is that is uncomfortable. But once we get into the issues and I explain what I'm doing, almost overwhelmingly my response has been positive. So that's been good. Well I'm so glad to hear that. That's why I ask you the question because I think so many women might avoid, and, and men too who are more introverted, might avoid these offices because it requires that kind of activity. And I would imagine that you very quickly convert those interactions into something that's not only deeply meaningful to you, but to the person you're talking with too. I imagine that you have a way of paying attention that maybe somebody who's getting a lot of energy off just shaking hands and being out in public can't as easily as you can. So I I feel like maybe you have both a strength and a challenge there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that that's, that's probably spot on. And, you know, I, I would imagine extroverts would really love this too. And, and like I said, it is draining, but I really, there's something about talking to people, especially once I dig in and I, I try to let them do a lot more talking than I'm doing and asking, you know, what's your background? Because usually if, if they ask me about a specific issue, such as, you know, education or, or whatever it might be, and that comes from a place of, of knowledge or expertise. And there's usually a story behind that. And I like knowing, you know, what, what made you care about this issue? What's what's the driving force? Because usually there's there's something interesting and, and some good good information there and places for me to learn. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. So you described a really complex process for getting on the ballot. If I am listening and thinking about running at some point and I hear what you said and have this moment of panic like, oh my goodness, I don't even know how to begin – How do you recommend that people get started in their data gathering process? In Utah, we're pretty lucky that our lieutenant governor has really made a a concerted effort to make sure that the lieutenant governor here is similar to, I guess, the secretary of state, I think, in other other states. But they're the ones who control the, the voting and the election process. And our lieutenant governor has put a real emphasis on educating potential candidates on how this works. So there's a couple of things I would suggest, which is, going to that, you know, whatever elections website is for your state, but also seeking out some of these groups, especially if you're a woman, there's so many good groups out there that are motivating and incubators for women candidates. There's one here called Real Women Run, and they have a a training once a quarter. And I went to one before I thought, I, I, I went to that one just because I wanted to meet people who were running and I thought that that was really brave and I didn't have a lot of intention of running at that point. I'm attending another one again on the first week of April. And I think that those are really important. And I found, especially as a, as a woman candidate, there are so many resources available to get you through that process, to help you understand how to file, understand how to fundraise and how to file your financial disclosures and to you know start getting connected with the right people. And all you have to do is just seek those out and they'll help you. It does require you know, a fair amount of work. You're going to have to be a quick study. But if it's something you're deeply passionate about, there you can find a network, plug into one, even if you feel like you don't have one that already exists. So tell us what you really want Utah voters to know about you. I would say that, again, the reason I'm running is that I believe that our state legislature does some great work. And I've, I've followed the session you know, for the last few years very closely. But I believe that what I offer to the people who live in my district and in my county, which is Utah County, is a voice that's not only someone who's, you know, who lives here. I have a, 
a daughter in public school here. I work in this county and I care about my neighborhood and in my community. I'm the type of person who listens to people and their issues. I have that skill set built in as an introvert and as a former congressional staffer. And I've been talking about how to make your government more accessible. And that's something that I really want to do. I want people to really understand how important their state government is. So it's about empowering people to reach out and to have a representative who's responsive and who talks not only about what they're voting on, but why they're voting on on certain issues and, and why they've chosen to vote the way that they have and what they plan to do to tackle some of the big issues that are facing our state and our county. For instance, Utah is consistently ranked as a very well-run state, economically forward-looking state. What comes with that is that we're having a huge population growth right now. Um, we are set to, in, in our county alone, add a million people in the next 50 years. And that is a huge amount of people for you know a state that I think not a lot of people think much about. And we have roads to think of. We have schools to think of. We have Utah is, is unique in its geography that we have some air quality issues, especially during the winter. We get some some very bad air quality days that that cause some health issues. And that's as we add more people, those issues are only going to get bigger. And if we don't have folks in the legislature who are recognizing these issues and bringing people to the table to proactively deal with them, we're going to reach a point where it's going to be too late and we're going to have to start reacting to big issues rather than you know, proactively planning for them and listening to all the community members who have expertise in these areas and have some really good solutions. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm hoping that Utah voters will take away. We may not agree on all issues. I don't think that that's possible for a representative, but what I want to know is on what issues do we agree where can we come to a consensus? How can we work together on those issues? And do we align closely enough on, on some of these principles that I've kind of laid out that we can work together to, to make some change in just our state legislature? That is awesome, Emily. And a message that definitely hits home for us at Pansy Politics. How can people support your campaign? So if you're in Utah, obviously, I'd love to to chat with you in person. And, you know, you can do that. You can find me at the website. It's emilyforutah.com. Emily just spelled E-M-I-L-Y and Utah spelled all the way out. And I have a, a contact form there and folks can get in touch with me. If they want to, to speak face to face. If you don't live in Utah, the biggest needs are obviously donations. And that is something that's uncomfortable. I don't like asking for money obviously, but it does take money to, to run a campaign. And I am not a millionaire by any stretch of the imagination. I'm a millennial. And so I am broke like the rest of us. But donating money allows me to do a few things. It helps me to gather more signatures. I have to pay to have these signature packets printed and distributed. So that costs money. And having any kind of campaign mailers or yard signs are all cost money. I'm also running a, a digital campaign. So buying buying ads or paying for email subscription services, all those things are costs associated with them. So if you live out of state, that's probably the best way. Or if you have, you know, expertise in an area and want to reach out and talk to me about state government in any way, I'm happy to hear solutions or ideas or, or people that you think that I need to talk to. So I would say that all of those are great ways. And you can find me on my website, emilyforutah.com, and, and please reach out. 
I just have to note the specificity with which you just described how you will spend money that is donated to your campaign. (laughs) And what a great example, I think, of how you'll be an excellent steward of taxpayer dollars. Well, I think that's really important. You know, I think people don't, you don't want to just say, okay, I'm going to throw $100 at you because I like what you're saying. I think people want to know how that money is going to be spent. Because when you say it costs money to run a campaign, I know that before I ever worked on campaigns, I always wondered, well, what for? Like, what do you what do you really need to do with it? And and the truth is, is that I don't think it takes a lot of money, especially since our legislature is part time. They meet for 45 days at the beginning of the year, and then they have some interim sessions. So it's about six weeks total of work, which, you know, is great. I think that there's a lot of major benefits to that. And for that reason, I really do think that keeping your expenditures low is important because it's part time. I'm not doing this to launch a career, you know, in Congress or anything like that. I'm I'm basically applying for a part time job working for the people of Utah, and that shouldn't require millions of dollars. And I don't think it does. So even you know, small donations I've put on my website, the estimated cost for a verified signature is about $7 worth of work or to have someone else do it. With that in mind, that's kind of how I've, I've been framing it. You know, what do I need to accomplish with this money? And, and what can I, you know, reasonably ask people to contribute? Well, I love that you're running your campaign the way that you would run your state senate service. So I hope that we can chat at different points throughout your run, Emily, and just keep up with you. And everyone go check out Emily's website and support her however you can. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much to Emily for joining us today. We'll be back here on Tuesday with our Facebook episode and on the Nuance Life to follow up with more conversation about social media. We look forward to hearing from you between now and then. Keep it nuanced, y'all. To support Pantsuit Politics, please visit patreon.com forward slash pantsuitpolitics or rate and review the podcast in the Apple Podcast Player. Thank you to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, George, and Sabrina. You can find us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics or Facebook and Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. You can also hear his work and get more nuance by checking out our podcast on family, relationships, and values, The Nuanced Life.